When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, and welcome back to this, the final episode of Dr. Giles Yo Choose the Fat. I'm a geneticist, and I've spent much of this series investigating the science behind how our food interacts with our bodies. I know it's my job to dig deep into how our genes affect what and how much we eat, but I also think it's really important to remember to enjoy food. So today, I want to celebrate the way comfort food can nourish our souls with Chef Tim Anderson. Soul food is, it's, it's got to be sort of made with love and it's got to be calorific in a way. Like it's got to sort of sustain you and be filling, you know, strongly flavored and something also kind of cheap and, and, and made from ingredients that are sort of nothing special. Tim is a restaurateur, writer and radio personality, perhaps best known for winning MasterChef in 2011. He's since gone on to write five Japanese cookbooks, one of which shares a name with his London restaurants, Nanban, Japanese soul food. You can see why I wanted to chat with him today. From my work, I know that different types of food will trigger the reward and pleasure centers of our brain to differing degrees. But I wanted to get his take on what it is that makes particular types of food feed our souls. Is it the flavor? Is it the texture? maybe even the cooking process itself. Now, I've seen every episode of MasterChef. Absolutely massive fan. So when Tim and I met, I was particularly curious about how an American ended up on British TV and won the show cooking Japanese cuisine. What a combination. Well, <laughs> I don't know how I won. That one's still a mystery. But um, <laughs> how I got here is more straightforward. I went to Japan after I graduated from college to teach English and because I was interested in the food and that was an easy way for me to go and live there and, and learn more about it. But while I was there, I met a British woman who would become my wife, Laura, and we moved back here together to London. So that's how I wound up here. And I wound up on MasterChef just because I was also a very early on uh, after moving here, I became a fan of the show and I always loved cooking. Uh, and I just thought it looked fun or like something that I should Try. Something you should try. So you just, I'll sign up. Yeah. I'll, I'll have a crack. Well, the thing is, it's not, you, you apply online and it's like easier than, you know, getting a, a driver's license or anything like that. It's a, it's a very simple, straightforward application process. As for how I won, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, for most of the series, you don't have to be the best cook in the room. You only have to be the second worst <laughs> 
because it's so it's like the hunger games so you don't want to end up being yeah. the one being killed so, so <laughs> exactly I, I i sort of barely scraped by for most of the series and made it to the final and in the final it was sort of anyone's game i really didn't think i'd win because i was up against some really great cooks but that was it really i just sort of tried my best and had fun and i was as surprised as anybody <laughs> to have actually won so this episode is about food and the soul which which seems a rather yeah <laughs> which, which seems a rather a, a big topic but i guess after, after doing a whole bunch of episodes about oh about genetics and about this <laughs> at the end of the day what i'd like to think i mean i'm certainly not a food as, as fuel person i mean i love right I, I love my food i do think it feeds my soul right yeah at the moment i think you have two restaurants i think called um Namban, yeah. um and yep. you, unashamedly, you call it Japanese soul food. Yes. <laughs> so I guess, what is your definition of soul food? To be honest, it's it's that usage that I sort of landed on, Japanese soul food, um, has a lot of different meanings for me. Uh, but I also have to confess, I didn't come up with that tagline. I actually kind of shamelessly stole it from a ramen chain called Ipudo. And on their website, they had this big splash page that said, ramen is Japan soul food or Japanese soul food. And I thought that's perfect. And, and the reason I thought it was perfect was because for one thing, I have always, or, or for, throughout my professional cooking career, mainly focused on Southern Japanese food, food from Kyushu and a little bit of Okinawa mm -hmm. as well. So the soul food sort of mapped well that way, the soul food name, because obviously American soul food comes from the South. Yes. I also learned over the years that a lot of hearty sort of Japanese dishes and Japanese from that southern region actually came from minority ethnic communities in Japan. So things like ramen, gyoza, karage, Japanese fried chicken, those all were basically introduced by Chinese immigrants to Japan. And then there's a Korean influence as well. And there's even an old, old European influence. A lot of people don't realize that um, tempura actually was introduced by the Portuguese in the 16th century. So that was another sort of way that it sort of the soul food term sort of fit in relation to also how it's used in, in America. Huh. But then also there is this uh, idea behind it of the soul, of, of the actual soul of, of something that nurtures not just your body, but your your spirit and can provide comfort and joy and a different kind of nourishment, I suppose, not to get too poetic about it. But, mm. you know, a lot of the Japanese food that I love are things like ramen, fried chicken, uh, you know, braised pork belly, gyoza dumplings, these quite sort of vaguely unhealthy, I suppose, uh, you know, strongly flavored and most importantly, satisfying dishes. You know, I think that there's you wouldn't find the the phrase Japanese soul food used to describe sushi. So uh, that was that was exactly <laughs> my next question. So you wouldn't at least I love sushi. I love sushi all food. Yeah, me too. But you, I wouldn't have said, "Well, it's not soul food. It's food. It's ja it's, it's Japanese food." So I guess what right, <laughs> and that is very that is very very interesting. And I I guess I wouldn't have considered would I consider a steak a soul food? I I I don't I don't <laughs> I don't know. It tends to be something in a bowl, something hot, something warming for yeah. some reason. Something brown or beige. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and something also kind of cheap and, and, and made from right. ingredients that are sort of nothing special. You know, foie gras or black truffles or caviar, 
That's not soul food. <laughs> you know, ramen is made from bones, bones and water <laughs> and, and, and wheat flour. Basically, that's those are the main elements of, of ramen. They're, they're cheap. And it's like ramen is magical because it's making something of nothing. And for me, there's almost nothing more uh, beautiful about cooking than that sort of process. So, yeah, for me, soul food is it's it's got to be sort of made with love. It's got to express that love, I suppose. And, uh, and it's got to be... <laughs> I guess, calorific in a way, like it's got to sort of sustain you and be filling in a way that lighter dishes don't seem to be. Can, can there be healthy soul food? Do you make any, in whatever healthy means, we can define what healthy means, but but what do you think about healthy food being soul food as well? You know, I feel like there's quite an old school idea of food that will try to put meat on your bones that's actually quite calorific and might now be thought of as kind of unhealthy. There's a sort of old fashioned way of thinking about that in terms of that kind of food being healthy. So like food at its most basic, I suppose, is is to sustain you. It's to, it's to ward off malnourishment, you know, it's to keep you from, yes. from starving, basically. And I think in that sense, soul food and, and quote unquote unhealthy food is weirdly healthy if you if that makes any sense at all it's healthy for the soul it's healthy for the soul and it also just keeps you alive you know obviously there are some foods that have really no nutritional value but even those kinds of foods you know they're better than nothing i suppose maybe they're not Uh, again coming at this from a very unscientific point of view but i think that uh there can be foods that are really quite nutritionally balanced and rounded and provide a lot of good stuff for you that actually can also tick that happiness box that really sort of makes you feel happy and, and good and comforted. I think that there's a lot of soul food like that, actually. Um, I had uh, congee for breakfast. Yes, this I love congee. And this is something that is very sort of soulful. It's very comforting. It makes you feel good. I like it with the, that with the century old egg. Uh, yeah. real egg and slices of pork. <laughs> that, uh, this one needed more. I didn't have enough toppings today because I like it with spring onions and, and chili oil and mm. stuff like that. Mm. But anyway, you, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of like, um, I don't know how I got this way. Maybe I'm just a hipster or something, but I, I'm a big fan of like ancient grains, quinoa, bulgur, frica, those kinds of things. That doesn't sound like soul food. <laughs> well, this is the thing. If you put those things in a nice hearty soup or a stew, ah, you know, right, right, they right. add texture and they just sort of blend right in and they're lovely. So I, I think, and I love vegetables too. You know, one of my favorite comfort food or soul food dishes um, is a Japanese curry rice. But of course, again, it's white rice and the curry sauce itself, which is based on a roux is maybe nutritionally suspect, but it's full of vegetables. It's full of potatoes and carrots and cauliflower, whatever you want to put in it. And a plate of that, Really, there's nothing wrong with it nutritionally, I don't think. And I realize I'm making a lot of like sort of value judgy type statements here. But no, that is as satisfying as a bowl of salty, fatty ramen. <laughs> but I, I think what, what's interesting is um, in an earlier episode, I spoke to a psychologist about emotional eating. Okay. And, and, and this is it. And what is interesting and speaking about soul food and com- comfort food, the vast majority of people, I don't want to say everybody, me certainly, when I emotionally eat or comfort eat, I end up with something resembling soul food. I, I don't comfort eat sashimi. Right. Um, um, I, it just, it's A, because I can't afford it. I never, that probably does right. <laughs> And you need to have, you know, the raw fish on hand in the fridge too, which is a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just get the feeling that. You're absolutely right. So comfort food 
food that is cheaper, which I hadn't actually equated to this before, is designed to put meat on the bones. And, yeah. and because it's designed to put meat on the bones, it tends to be high in caloric density because, because that is what yeah. tickles the part of your brain that says, oh, this is delicious, you know, and therefore makes a lousy day, for me at any rate, feel better. Yep, absolutely. So the Japanese food is quite interesting, actually, when it comes to thinking about what is satisfying and what's comforting. Hmm. Because I think I've noticed over the years with Japanese food is that often you can actually get that feeling of satisfaction from some from meals that are not that calorific. And I think that has to do with balance in a meal and also umami. Like Japanese food is so good at layering different umami sources and, and creating synergistic umami from things like dashi and dry shiitake mushrooms and soy sauce and miso and all these amazing you know, umami packed ingredients. Does dashi come, dashi come from seaweed? So dashi is a stock, like an infusion. And yeah, the most basic dashi is made from kombu, dried kelp. The more common form of dashi uses kombu in addition to katsuobushi, which are dried smoked tuna flakes. Um, and then there are vegetarian dashis as well and, and different versions of them. But it's amazing because it's so satisfying. It's got also what is called in Japanese kokumi, which is Sort of, it could be translated as richness, or sometimes it's called mouth mouth fillingness. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, sort yeah, of expands yeah, yeah. on your palate. It makes you feel like, mmm, just this really satisfying flavor. But dashi is incredibly light. It it's it's not really got like maybe any calories. I don't think. Um, it, it's like a tea almost. Uh, it's just a very flavorful, powerful infusion. And if you have that kind of flavor with noodles or a bowl of rice, uh, and then. Uh, um, a, a mixture of sort of vegetables and protein. You've got this great sort of nutritionally complete meal that may not be very big and it may not be very calorific, mm. but it's it's so satisfying. Mm. And, and it's amazing. I was thinking about this earlier, how there's this combination you start with in Japanese cuisine of rice and miso soup that forms the basis of so many meals. And I think it's that sort of hot liquid and carbs. <laughs> yes. It's so satisfying and you get the exact same combination in, in of course a bowl of noodles and it's like the liquid fills you up the, the carbs provide this satiety and this energy and then yeah you don't have to add much to that to, to feel good to feel nourished and how important is texture to all of this how important is the texture to do with the comfort elements of the food you think you know that's a, a good question i suppose when i think about comfort food or soul food it tends to be soft <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I don't think of crunchy food as soul food, particularly. I don't really know why that is. But when I, I think of, you know, the things that come to mind when I think of soul food are things like, uh, you know, slow cooked beans or, or mm. peas. In fact, for some reason right now, I'm thinking about this bean and cheese burrito I used to get in a taco truck in, in Los Angeles. And very basic. It's, it's pinto beans cooked, I think, to be fair, with quite a lot of lard <laughs> in them and then some cheese. And it's just sort of this very calorific proteiny fatty dense thing and that texture it's it's the beans are soft and they're silken and you get the same thing from a bowl of like tonkotsu pork broth ramen that sort of slickness uh, in the mouth fattiness i suppose so and what do you think about the cooking process i mean you know in terms of for comfort and for the soul do you think the cooking process i mean do you feel i mean you're a chef so maybe i'm asking the wrong person but i certainly find comfort even just in doing the cooking process yeah. as long as i could eat it after but even the cooking process for me helps me yeah so it, it all depends on the type of cooking i'm doing 
Generally speaking, home cooking, putting together a weekday dinner is a very pleasant process for me. It's kind of uh, meditative sometimes, especially if it's kind of repetitive. It's something I can do almost without thinking too much about. Uh, so my mind can wander uh, and sort of go where it goes, which I, you know, I've never really been into meditation, but I know that's sort of a state that you're meant to get to at some point of just sort of letting your thoughts flow freely, which happens to me when I'm cooking. On the other hand, Cooking can be a great source of stress <laughs> in the restaurant during a busy service or anything like that. It is uh, really the opposite of calming, the opposite of comforting. It's right. fast paced. It's uh, difficult. It's a challenge. Um, and of course, that can be that can go for home cooking as well, depending on what your situation is. If you've got kids and a job or or not, if you just aren't a very keen home cook, you might find it very difficult to cook. And that's fine. I think that, you know, the bottom line is you don't have to stress yourself out to cook good meals. And I'm a big advocate of using cheats as well. Like, this is why I got the rice cooker with the timer. Uh, I use instant miso soup for my breakfasts and lunches. There's nothing wrong with that because the end result makes you feel good. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The problem we have, and we're here, we love food, and, and you are in the food business, is that food has acquired a lot of judgmental terms, I think, in in, in, in recent, you know, they stick real, fake, yeah. <laughs> clean, I mean, it's awful junk. Yeah. Where does soul fit in? I think that some people, when they hear the word soul food, they will think of something that is comforting and calorific and potentially unhealthy. And in fact, that's the joy of it. It's, it's sort of removed from issues of, of diet and nutrition, whereas other people might hear the word soul food and think, oh, this is something that is really nourishing and healthful uh, and, and good for me. And and there are foods that can tick both boxes that are really joyous and flavorful uh, and, and a pleasure to eat, but they also happen to be good for you. But that, you know, good for you is another one of these things, <laughs> these words. It is, it is. But I think it's the context. Yeah. I think it is the context where, where clearly the dose is the issue. And, yeah. and you know, you have to be happy when you eat you just yeah. can't be 
eating unhealthy food all the time. Right. I mean, that's the and, and unhealthy is only when they have too much of it. I mean, too many carrots is unhealthy. Of for course. Yeah. But more generally, how do you think we square what we know about healthy living with our need and desire for food? Because obviously yeah. we evolved to a time when we didn't have enough food. So, so, so anything that we could get and just put meat on the bones, to use yeah. your term, um, what was good for us. But how do we square it in today's, in, in, in today's environment where we have too much food? It's really difficult. It's really difficult. I think it's kind of key to not deprive yourself. I know I am kind of a feast and famine kind of person. I think that's sort of just in my genes that I will, I'm prone to overeating and I, I will do so if I have the opportunity and if I am too hungry as well, which is why starting to eat these Japanese breakfasts and lunches every day has been, I think, a, a really positive thing for me because it's not really restrictive. It doesn't feel like I'm not getting enough. And all throughout the lockdown in particular, I was snacking like there would be no food tomorrow. <laughs> like in the evening, it was almost like having a fourth meal, just crisps and chocolate and, you know, quote unquote, bad stuff. Um, and that was a really, I, I was not able to sort of shake that habit until I started eating these proper Japanese breakfasts and lunches. So you st this was your strategy. This was your strategy to say, do you know what? I know I'm, I shouldn't yeah. be doing this. So if I make myself less hungry, then I won't be picking yeah. later. And I've never been a daily breakfast person. So this was actually quite a radical mm. change for me. And it wasn't, I didn't go into it thinking like, oh, I'm going to eat breakfast with rice, miso soup and pickles every day. And therefore I will stop snacking. It just sort of happened that way. <laughs> and, you know, it's not like it's all or nothing. I still do snack. It's just not to the extent that I was during the first lockdown. But it's interesting having a three-year-old, a, a daughter who is discovering food now. Because mm. first of all, my impulse as a parent is to put meat on her bones. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's kind of great to, in a way, not worry about how calorific food is. Because all the calories she gets, she turns into growth and energy. That's right. And obviously she has to have the right kind of food, but her natural instincts are quite good in that respect. Like she will eat like on her, of her own devices, like if we sort of left her to it, she'd probably load up on ice cream and stuff, but she, she likes fruit. She likes vegetables. She has, uh, I think the right sort of intuitions about what she needs to eat. And we lose those, I think, as as we get so much we do. more information. Yeah, we do. Be, be, our, because I think li little kids in particular, those under five. And so we, we study actually when we study the we study genetics of severe obesity. Right. And we consider severe obesity. I'm not this is not talking about your daughter at all. This is just, no. <laughs> <laughs> but but we study the genetics of severe obesity early onset severe obesity. So kids under the age of five. And the reason right. is Generally speaking, if there is nothing genetically the problem, then kids tend to self-regulate. Now, you right. don't want to leave them in an ice cream or, or sweet shop, no. obviously, but that's, not a, that, but that's not a natural scenario. Yeah. But, but if they're full, the kids will stop eating. This exactly. is, as you know, as a three-year-old, you can, you can do whatever you want. If they don't want to eat anymore, they're not eating they won't anymore. They do it, yeah. Unless there's something genetically wrong. No, it's, it's, it's like I'm kind of like relearning myself some things about how to eat from her. Now she's also at an age, obviously, like her vocabulary is growing and, and she's able to understand more of what we're saying. So my wife and I are being quite careful to not use these sort of value judgment type statements mm. about food, not saying this is good for you, this is bad for you. Because like mm. you say, nothing's really good or bad for you as long as you're moderating properly and as long Correct. as you're sort of eating intuitively and not overdoing it or anything like that. 
so that's a, that's a tricky one. You know, how to get her to understand the balance without saying this is good and this is bad. I think I, I'm a big fan of not talking down to kids. They might not get everything you say, but I think if we say to her, you know, this food, let's say it's an ice cream or something like that. This food is good. It's tasty, but you can't eat that all the time. You have to eat other things because we have nutrients and, and things our body needs. So yeah. that's sort of how I'm I'm still navigating that. Um <laughs> Because also, like I said, I have this impulse to feed and to make her feel happy and joyous. So like for me, finding that balance of like not giving her ice cream all the time is uh, hard to resist sometimes. You know, something I find really interesting is people talk about intuitive eating. I just think, you know, from a biological genetic perspective, there are some people because of their genetic makeup that find it more difficult to say no. They just, they just do find it more difficult to say no. I, I'm one of these people. I love my food. And so therefore, I'll think about it. I know what I'm going to have for dinner two, three nights from now. And so I think something like intuitive eating, which is very popular, I couldn't do. Big, 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 because if I'm sitting there listening to my stomach and listening to my brain, I would be the size of a house because I would, I would continually in, in, intuit. Yeah. Is that even a word? To eating. Yeah. I am right there with you. In fact, that's basically what I did all through lockdown. Uh, it was just indulge everything all the time. And it's it's amazing how easy it was. Look, I think the dose makes the poison. Clearly, cl- clearly, if you eat too many things of, of anything is going to be un- unhealthy. I think people obsess too much about counting numbers. They obsess about calories. They do. It, it's like the calories are God. I'm going to I'm going to count it. They're, they're, I think we need to think about the quality of our food and of our diets in, 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 in general. And so in other words, if you have a unhealthy and in inverted commas meal, a big comfort food meal, you can have a, a healthier meal some, somewhere else. I think it's all about balance. And it's all about the quality of our diet in general, rather than obsessing about individual calories. Can you tell me, sorry, I'm actually curious. Can you tell me about what balance should we be looking for? Because it's there, there, there's so much information and, and so many um, things I've read in the past few years have said, like the balance that you think is healthy is maybe all wrong. The, the sort of one constant is that I, I think you should get a lot of fiber and a lot of protein, but I, I don't know. So so the, the, the answer is... There is a sweet spot for protein. So you can have too okay. much protein, all these carnivore people. So I think the sweet spot for protein, the best evidence indicates it's 16% of the calories okay. <laughs> of, the, of, the, of the energy should be protein. Right. And that is a lovely down the and, and I don't only mean steak, tofu, uh, uh, beans, okay? So 16% protein. Yeah. Fiber, we have nowhere close to enough. We need to eat. <laughs> We, we need to be shooting for 30 grams of fiber, yeah. but we're only really at around a 15, 16 gram mark. Right. And then I think we need to limit our free sugars. Yeah. So these are sugars that you add in, yeah. uh, uh, powdered stuff or the nectars or, or, or honey, to less than 5%. No, now, and, and free sugars are different from the, the sugars tied up in fruit sure. because of the presence of fiber. Okay. If you can follow that, if you can have 16% of your, of your diet as a whole, from protein and have as much fiber as you possibly can, <laughs> okay? You know, yes, I'm not saying eat as much fat as you want, but actually those two rules in of itself are pretty good rules to follow. Yeah, that's good to know. So you, you've answered this question in part already, but I've been asking all, all my guests this question. How has your diet changed through lockdown? Have you eaten <laughs> better? Have you eaten worse? Have you cooked more, cooked less? What, what, what happened? It's, it's gone all over the map <laughs> my, my eating my situation changed a lot too so i when the restaurants closed last march i went from being you know obviously a full-time 
restaurant worker, a chef, basically a manager, to being a full-time dad because my wife was still working and she's got a, a proper job. <laughs> she works nine to five. Uh, <laughs> and, and so she was still doing that, working from home. And I was essentially furloughed and looking after my daughter. So all of a sudden I was a lot more domestic. I had a lot more time mm. to cook. So that was amazing. And also I really got on board with online food shopping very quickly. And, and, and it's amazing what you can buy. So I, I very quickly started um, and I realized I was actually saving money because I wasn't going out to eat. So I started buying very like extravagant things <laughs> online. Like I remember one day I just said, you know what? Well, I'm going to buy five kilos of snow crab legs and that's going to be our what? dinner. Yeah, <laughs> because you can get it online. They ship it out frozen. You know, there's all kinds of amazing sort of international ingredients you can get online and great meat and great produce. I was buying, there's a Japanese farm down in uh, Lewis in, in Sussex and, and I was getting their veg boxes. So I was getting these great, amazing organic Japanese vegetables and, and turning them into great dinners and lunches and everything. I was having a great time. And the other thing was amazing is I was using food for like escapism because obviously not being able to go to restaurants, not being able to travel. I was trying to sort of recreate memories. Meals from favorite places exactly. that you might want to visit. Yeah, so we were meant to fly, go to America, where I'm from, obviously, last year. And on the day we were meant to go, I made a, a proper Chicago-style deep dish pizza for the first time ever. It's like, it was amazing. <laughs> and, you know, did it take me, you know, to the Midwest of America? Not really, but it was fun. Uh, you know, one day I made tacos because I was kind of missing L.A. I, I made a Hawaiian feast one day and uh, things like that. And, and I, I, I loved it. Food food was more sort of a, a joy, actually, and more of an adventure <laughs> or cooking, rather, I, I should say, not, not the food itself necessarily. Tim, thank you so much for chewing the fat with me. Thank you. This is great fun. Well, that is it for this series of Dr. Charles Yeo Choose the Fat. If you've only just joined us, there are loads of episodes for you to go back and listen to whenever you like, including chats about how our food interacts with our brains, our genes, and our guts. If Tim's wonderful descriptions of all that delicious Japanese food has got you salivating, his new recipe book, Your Home Izakaya, is out in October and can be pre-ordered now. And if that chat Tim and I had towards the end there about eating a balance of foods piqued your interest, I've written a book too. It's called Why Calories Don't Count. And I go into lots more detail about protein, fiber, and free sugars in there. There's a link to the hard copy and audiobook in the show notes. For now, thank you again to Tim Anderson, to my producer Anushka Tate for Orion Publishing Limited, and a huge thank you to you for listening. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.